tired. So tired. Overtired. Welcome to Overtired. I am here with our favorite guest host, Ashley Esqueda. Uh, Christina is a little bit out this week. So how are you, Ashley? She's uh, she's out playing the squid game. The squid Christina's game. playing the squid game. Isn't that, that's, that a, squid game? that's a new show, right? It is. With like a lot of murder involved. Uh, let's call it Korean Hunger Games times infinity. It's next level good. You got to watch it. I, okay. Next level good. Okay. I don't think I'll be able to talk my partner into watching that one with me, but no, I, uh, just watch it. Yeah. I could find some afternoon time. You know, it's wild. My busy day job gives me an hour here and there. I can squeeze in some personal TV time. Let's all hope Christina comes back from Squid Game in one piece. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say about it. She, I think good she missed you. I think she missed Rocket this week, too. See? I'd see. Squid Game is serious. Pretty serious. Um, yeah. So how have you been, Ashley? You know, uh, I really like coming on this show because I always like to say I feel overtired just all the time. So um, this is very appropriate content for me to come and uh, participate in. Uh, but overall, good. It's spooky season. October 1st is here. Like, woo. It's October now. Love that. Big fan. Every year, every year I plan to make some crazy, like, like combine a bunch of home automation equipment and make some really cool, like automated trick or treat thing that'll like give the kids a thrill and I never get around to it. You you have. So you're an ideas man, but like the execution is just not there. Well, and I have a friend who owns a toy store and is excellent at like robotics. And he does like all kinds of puppetry and everything. And he could, he, he, the two of us together could make some amazing stuff. And I, I never pick up the phone. Available to you, <laughs> sir, are infinite. I this, know. This is, I'm, I'm jealous. I got a 12 foot skeleton for Halloween. I, that was Damn. my, I have one of the Home Depot 12 foot skeletons. I what's, was fortunate. What's that a skeleton have. of? What kind of giant Just leaves a, a 12 foot skeleton? I mean, I don't really know, but. Does it matter? Nephilim? He's beautiful. Are we talking about Nephilim? Yeah, sure. Why not? Did you know? Maybe like a younger giant, right? Like a, like a, like a, like a prepubescent giant child. Did you know that biblical giants were supposedly the offspring of angels and humans? I had, I, I feel like I've read that somewhere a long time ago. Also, the dimensions given for Goliath in the Bible would be physically incapable of supporting a structural skeleton. Just in case Wait, you wanted to get like the inside the- theological out debate out of this. Well, it's like a human skeleton can only get so large before it buckles right. under its own weight. Its own weight. Right, right, right. And the dimensions they gave for Goliath would not have been physically possible. Adamantium. Unlike the rest of the Bible, which really stands up to scrutiny. It really, you know what? That's true. <laughs> I will say this. Okay, well, let me posit a theory here. Let's just let's just mix it in with pop culture. What if Goliath was a mutant? I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> All right. Now everything is feasible. You've you've really uh you've really tied a bow on that for if me. If you incorporate the larger Marvel comic universe into the Bible, it totally makes sense. I just watched. Okay, so here here's how my brain works. 
we talked about giants, then we talked about Marvel Universe. My brain went to Deadpool, and then I leapt to the Hitman's Bodyguard. The Hitman's Bodyguard. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds Yeah. It's a a Ryan's. Yeah, I got got where you're going. It wasn't a super long walk. It was a bit of a walk, but I got there. This is very different than doing a show with just you and Christina. Like this is very different. You're you're going to be the other half of Overtired. Which is I like. I love it. I love doing. I like. I could. I could do this all day. I'll I'll Captain American. I. I absolutely love talking to both of you. It's the best. Did you ever see the Hitman's Bodyguard? I I saw some of it, uh, like just yeah, I think it was like about, on my TV. Like I wasn't really paying attention. It seems kind of fun. Like it, it seems kind of fun, but I I just it, it seems like it should be kind of fun. I don't have time it for was something not that I'm at not all super interesting. In. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I I have to be super invested in it now because I've got a two year old, so I literally have to really. Uh, pick and choose the the content that I am consuming. I can't binge watch everything now. And it's just like, I just have to, I got to pare it down. I have to, I have to accept that I'm not going to see everything. And that's fine. Like I'm, I'm getting to that point where I'm, I'm accepting my grief at, you know, the, the Kubler-Ross <laughs> stages of grief. I've finally reached acceptance on the fact that I will not see every show that has ever been made. But also, do you really care? No. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of grief <laughs> around I it. I think you just hit a point in your life where you just don't care anymore. I I feel like this is about MMOs. Like everyone's playing New World right now on and I I used to love MMOs. Like I used to I met my husband playing Star Wars Galaxies and I played tons of World of Warcraft when Wrath of the Lich King was out and my husband still like he'll pick one game and get really into it and like that's the one game he plays and I am I've got to play everything. Like I again, it's like content thing. I'm like trying really hard to accept I'm not going to get to everything, but I can at least pick and choose the things that interest me. So I might be playing, you know, I might be playing Resident Evil Village, and then I'm playing Deathloop, and now I'm playing Ratchet and Clank, then I'm playing Returnal. Like there is a, I I like to have a variety. I don't like to just like zero in on one property and go in hard on it. I like to have kind of a broad awareness of sort of the the content landscape, whether it's games or TV or movies. So what are you watching right now? Uh, we just started watching Midnight Mass last night. What is the, that? Uh, so if you are familiar with The Haunting of Hill House or Bly Manor. Like so if you, so you horror. See, this is all horror. Scary. Spooky. Uh, yeah, I haven't, like, I haven't uh, done horror for a while thriller-ish sort of thriller kind of horror. Uh, this is a, it's another Mike Flanagan series. Um, and uh, like some, some good, really good actors are in it. Rahul Cooley's in it, who was on iZombie. And he's been another, he was Owen on Bly Manor. Um, he's awesome. I and, did like uh, iZombie. Yeah. So he, he's in the show. He's like the, the, it's about, it's really interesting. Like the first episode is sort of sets up, obviously like the world of this island where there's very few people that live on it. And um, there's already weird stuff going on, which I appreciate because it's only seven episodes. This is like a binge. This is a very bingeable limited series. Like that's the thing I always like about Mike Flanagan's shows on Netflix is that they're, they're extremely bingeable. You, you want to get through them to like solve the mystery, unravel the mystery, find out what's going on, get some jump scares in, you know, things like that. 
but um, but it is very good. It's it, so far it has set up the world really well, and um, and you know that there's like there are some you know there's some weird stuff going on, and then there's a couple of inciting incidents that sort of are like oh okay yeah that's really creepy or oh god that's gross or weird. So um, but but very good so far. So we're looking forward to that. I'm also watching Ted Lasso. Of course. Which who isn't watching Ted Lasso? We're we actually we're gonna dedicate a segment to Ted Lasso. Um, in just a moment, like you're going to be here for it. You're going to be a part of this, but I got to tell you first along the lines of creepy and somewhat disturbing, uh, Elle and I have been watching the sinner. Have you seen any of the sinner? I haven't. And I have seen, uh, I've seen references to it and also memes up from it on Twitter in my yeah. timeline, but I don't understand what they mean. Well, I got into it because I, I wanted to see what Jessica Biel was up to in season one. And yeah. it was it was excellent. Loved it. And then it's like True Detective, where the next season is almost an entirely new cast, except for Bill Pullman. Like, all new cast, all new uh, plot arc, everything is a reset, if you will. Um, which which I, I kind of I took a break after season one. And then we started season two, maybe two weeks ago, and we just finished it. And we're getting ready to start season three, which I'm excited about because it's got Matt Bomber from uh, White Collar in it. Oh, yeah. I love that guy. And Chuck. We can't forget Chuck. But um, but season two has this kid uh, played by Elisha Hennig. And he is hands down the best child actor I have seen in years. But like oh, maybe cool. ever, he his portrayal of a very neurotic, uh, murder capable, like thirteen year old boy is outstanding. It's amazing. I'm that sounds right up my alley. That Mur- sounds murder good. capable. That I feel like that's uh, murder capable children are very interesting to me in horror tropes. Like I, I enjoy, I'm actually, I'm reading um, the book of accidents by Chuck Wendig. I just started that. And there is a murder capable child in the beginning of that book. So uh, good. That's a nice, uh, it's a nice, it pairs well, pairs well. I should be taking notes here for the, uh, for the show notes. We talked about midnight mass, midnight mass on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And what is mm-hmm. this book that I should check out? It's, it is called the book of accidents. And it's by Chuck Wendig, W E N D I G. Perfect. It's a little. It's a good. It's a good. Um. It's a good ha- Halloween read. Is it so far? Anyway, I haven't. I don't know how it ends yet. I've. But I've heard very good things from so many of my friends that I'm like, okay, I gotta get this. I have friends who are into horror of all kinds, and I constantly watch their uh, recommendations because I have a curiosity about it. But I haven't truly been like I haven't enjoyed being scared by a movie since like maybe The Ring. Yeah. But I also haven't given it a lot of opportunities. I can't. I, what was that super weird one with Nicolas Cage? Oh, uh, Mandy. Mandy. That one's been on my list for a long time. That's a that's a ride. Let me tell you. Like maybe less horror than it is just like absolutely. Bonkers. Like that movie is just, it's, it's very, I mean, it's very Nicolas Cage. I don't even know what to say (laughs) about it beyond that. I like, I have found that, um, you know how we have this sort of, uh, so after Scream came out, there was this like big 
push towards like horror comedy, like mixing horror and comedy, the sort of pop culture horror. Yeah. And then and then we had like the Saw movies come out and Hostel around the same time. And then we had sort of like torture porn uh, horror movies. Yeah. It feels like right now the trend is sort of and I think it's sort of tapering off finally. But um, but it feels like the trend for a long time has been um, these sort of like uh, the concept of like building dread. Right. So it's like less of that sort of like, you know, there are slasher movies out there and there are, you know, that sort of like classic horror that have that have been released in, in the last few years. But it feels like when you see things like, for example, like Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, and, and a lot of the kind of more recent horror, it's like very rooted in like psychological dread where it's just like everything is meant to make you feel super uneasy the entire movie. And it's just like a, a constantly, um, vibrating string on a cello, right? It's just Mm -hmm. like a constant undertone of like dread that is going to happen. And so I, I'm really curious to see what the next, sort of horror movie phase is or fad is. Um, but recently, I, I really like that type of horror. So I, I'm i I'm fully supportive of movies. Like, I loved Midsummer. It was just so horrific. And, and I, I really like horror movies that are, like, very brightly colored because it always just feels so... Um, unsettling that it should this oh, these horrific things are happening in these like bright beautiful places. Yeah. All right. I yeah. I'm gonna get. I got into the center enough, so I know I'm not averse to like dark. It, there's something about the suspense that like I'm stressed enough in mm-hmm. real life. Yeah. 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 But then there's a place for like taking control of your anxiety to some extent. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Anyway, uh, do you want to hear about a sponsor? Please. So I, I I always feel bad when we have guests on making them sit through sponsors, but it, it, it's it's how the show survives. I, you don't have to feel bad about it at all. I think it's wonderful I'm that so- you have sponsors. Who who's sponsoring Overtired T- today? Uh, we're sponsored by Ritual Protein. Uh, Because, as you know, protein powders can feel intimidating with all that no pain, no gain stuff that gets associated with them. But the truth is that deep down, as in like cellular level deep, we all need protein and it's about more than just muscles. So Ritual's team of scientists reimagined protein from the ground up and from the inside out, from how it's made to who it's for. The result is a delicious plant-based protein offered in three premium formulations for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs, all made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability that Ritual is known for. So whether you're doing reps or you're more into dog walks, Ritual is introducing essential protein here to shake things up. I haven't had as much time as I I would like to have to cook lately, Uh, and I make dinner most nights, but for lunch, that's another story. And I've been using Ritual as a meal replacement for my lunches, which gives me all the protein and nutrition that I need so I don't feel hungry all afternoon, and I still have time to enjoy my lunch break. And now that I'm actually on the clock with like a Zoom meeting schedule, that's a lifesaver. 
Ritual Protein is for tomorrow as much as today. It's made with nutrients to support bones, brains, and muscles and help maintain muscle mass as you age. Essential Protein comes in clean, plant-based formulas specifically, specifically created to support nutrient needs of different life stages like 18+, pregnancy and postpartum, and 50+. 20, ga- 20 grams of pea protein plus a complete amino acid profile made with essential choline to help fill common dietary gaps. In terms of standards, Ritual's peas are sustainably grown and regeneratively farmed in the U.S. Like all Ritual products, essential protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. So, why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, our listeners get 10% off during their first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash overtired to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash overtired. And, and they sent me, like, my first month of this was free as because I was doing their ads for them. And I liked it enough that I am a, a paying regular customer now. Just putting it out there. I, I'm 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 eating my own dog food. It's great that, stuff. That's that's the best kind of endorsement. Honestly, it's the only valid kind of endorsement. It's pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty good. That's that's a that's very high praise. So back in like uh, 2006, 2008, depending on like uh, wh- whose story you you read, um, 4chan was the origin of something called Rick Rolling. And uh, in it, it, it reluctantly, uh, Rick Astley reluctantly allowed it to revive his career. Uh, I should say he, he had started touring at about the same time and like uh, unrelated, mm-hmm. but, but he, he eventually accepted that this, this meme, this, I, okay. For anyone who doesn't know. It's basically when you click a link that you think is going to go one place, and instead it goes to "Never Going to Give You Up" by Rick Astley. Yeah, and pretty simple concept. It is, and it is. I think it may be like the the meme with the the longest life. I think you might be right. This is like, I mean, it's. I don't. I can't think of anything that has lasted this long. At least in the way of like linking to a video or like just in the because like, I mean, there are memes that like we still see from a long time ago, but it's not the same. Right. Yeah. No, it's it's still still very much in the forefront of like pop culture. Like it's it's a it's still a weirdly relevant meme. Like it it, it has not, there was a time where it felt a little stale and it kind of went away for a minute and then somebody brought it back and it was like, oh yeah, everybody really likes this and it's dumb and funny. I I got to a point where you can just say the word Rickroll to me and the song gets stuck in my head. Yeah, I get like, like meta, meta Rickroll. It's like, yeah, I immediately hear the beginning. Yeah. So this, this o- over the last 15 years, like this has just been kind of a constant undercurrent on the internet. And then last week's Ted Lasso came out. And I feel like it all came to a climax in a funeral scene where the, sh- the main what's her name? Um Rebecca Rebecca yeah. Rick rolls a funeral. 
And her dad's am- funeral. Uh, and it's amazing. It's pretty incredible. And she doesn't do it on purpose. Uh, doesn't she? There's a story. Well, like, there's a story behind why she sings yes. that. Like, she's not just coming in to throw a chaos bomb <laughs> into the funeral proceedings. Like, they give her a good character backstory reason to sing that song at a funeral, but it is pretty hilarious. Yeah. Um, and uh, my, I think my favorite thing that I saw after that episode went live was um, it, I think it was Rick, Rick Astley himself uh, ended up tweeting to Hannah Waddingham um, and said, where is it? Uh, literally like put up this one minute long video because he, I guess, didn't know like how the song was going to be used or in what context. Like I think, you know, they just licensed it. Right. Yeah. And so they don't necessarily go directly to the artist for that. They would just go to your, you know, your label. Yeah. And so he posts this video. It's like a minute long. It's on his Twitter. And he's just like blown away at how it was used. He just loved it. He's like, you know, very complimentary, all this stuff. It's just, it's really cute. Um, just so, just so lovely and pure, just like everything else that Ted Lasso is doing. Um, and it's just, it's so nice. And, uh, and she is, she, she just totally flips out, um, Hannah Waddingham, um, which is just so funny to me. Like, she's just like, oh my God, like, (laughs) Rick Astley, I love this. This is so great. Um, so yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And the way that they sort of incorporate it into the show, it's just. It's really lovely. Like I Ted Lasso is the kind of show where I watch it and I'm just like, you know that moment in Ratatouille where Anton Ego takes a bite of the Ratatouille, like begrudgingly is like eating it up because he's he's so furious that it's so good. Um, I'm gonna admit I've never seen Ratatouille, but I How dare I can you? I can I can I can, uh, I can envision this. Yeah, but it's it, that is how I feel every time I watch Ted Lasso. I'm just like begrudgingly watching it with so much joy because they're. I'm just like, oh, these writers, like these, these <laughs> bastards, like they're so good at this. Like I, I'm, I'm angry at how talented. I'm insulted at how talented these people are. It's offensive. Like I, I'm. It's so weird. It's like that feeling where you're just like, it's not jealousy. You're just like, oh, this is so good. Like I'm, I'm furious at how yes. good this is. Yes, that I can totally relate to. It is. I mean, I watch a lot of TV. I consider myself a pretty good judge of of writing and production and set design and acting. Like I've I've seen enough to to know what's good. And Ted Lasso constantly stands head and shoulders above some of the best TV out there. Yeah, it's really good. Outstanding. Yeah. Have you, have you listened to much other stuff from Rick Astley? Uh, no, not particularly. Like, I, I'm sure I've heard other stuff. I'm not even sure I have. I All I know is people keep telling me, oh, he's really a very talented musician. You should hear his other stuff. And I just haven't gotten around to actually following up on that yet. I haven't either. I don't have a lot of, like, so, so the kid is, like, really into records. Like, I'm not complaining. You had a My hipster? child. My child is two and a half years old almost, and he literally loves vinyl records on a record player. He will not, he gets mad when I try to play the exact same albums on our <laughs> Sonos. No, Wolfie wants the record player. What a snob. He's uh. such a little snob. <laughs> and 
but to but but the good news is is they don't really make a lot of like kids toddler like baby shark stuff on sure, vinyl. Sure. So all he listens to is like he this kid will specifically ask by name for uh musicians like the Black Pumas and he wants Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. He wants you know, J.D. McPherson, like he wants Dolly Parton. He says, play Islands in the Stream. And I'm just like, <laughs> OK, like, sure. Yeah, no problem. But it's like, I, like, I this is my whole music listening life right now, because like he gets into these he gets into these like uh, routines where he wants to hear a song over and over and over again until he's over it. Sure. And so right now it's like there's like four songs. It's like Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, which look no complaining about that. Uh, but the four songs that are in my rotation right now are Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, Let the Good Times Roll by J.D. McPherson, uh, Nine to Five by Dolly Parton and Monkey Wrench by the Foo Fighters. That's so not a bad lineup. Like pretty good lineup. He has good taste, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. When I was a kid, we him well. I had a play school record player like a suitcase record player he has that he has that little fisher price one yeah it's like plastic. maybe that's it's what not it the was one that's a suitcase that's a real record player but it's well um, this one could only play seven inches yeah see those ones are like the classic they're real they plug in yeah they like they play seven inch vinyl like he has the one that's like the one for toddlers where it's like little plastic records that play like uh, oh. like almost like music box songs. It yeah. comes with five little plastic records, and he loves that thing. No, he like takes it with him everywhere. For me, and I'm I'm older than you, so you you may or may not remember, but there was a time when uh, magazines and even cereal boxes would have flimsy vinyl uh, pages that you could cut a record out of and play it on a seven inch record player. Oh my god! Really? Yeah. Yeah, and like, because I mean, they would be the uh, thickness of just like a, a heavier magazine page, uh, just wow. just vinyl. And I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, and you could like you could get y- your favorite single as the back page of a magazine, and uh, and that was my. We weren't allowed to listen to rock and roll in my house, but I had, I had the Muppet Babies, Rocket to the Moon was my first rock and roll record. And from the second I heard that 4-4, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was in. And I never I never stopped listening to rock and roll after that. But the Muppet Babies on a seven-inch record, on a play school record player, that's like, wow. that's how I got into music. Wow. That's amazing. The, okay. So when I was a kid, it was cassette tapes. So I had this thing and I have looked for this thing and I don't even know. I've looked for what it's called. I can't find it anywhere. I used to have this thing that looked like a Walkman, sort of, but it played singles on miniature cassette tapes, like miniature yeah, cassette yeah, yeah. tapes. Yeah. And it and I remember having Debbie Gibson and one side was Shake Your Love and the other side was... Oh my God, whatever the other hit that she had on that Shake Your Love album. Yeah, something like that. It was like one of those songs. And so it's on the same album, but it was like the two singles from that album, one side and the other. And then I think the other one I had was New Kids on the Block. It was like The Right Stuff and Hanging Tough. Like those are the two that I had. And I was like obsessed with that little 
cassette tape thing. And every time we went to Toys R Us, I would immediately go to that aisle where that thing was. And I would look and see if there were new cassettes. <laughs> but like that was like the thing that I remember specifically. Like I, I loved that thing so much when I was a kid. I was probably probably like eight. It was probably like eight ish, like right in there, like probably seven, yeah. seven to nine between seven and nine. And it just like, it was my favorite thing. I loved it so much. And, um, and my mom was really into like pop music. So I was listening to like, when I was a kid, it was like a lot of Madonna, like all the top 40 stuff in like the eighties. My mom was into Elvis and Peter, Paul and Mary. Wow. My dad only listened to classical music. Everything else was too new. Yeah, see, I was around my grandparents a lot because we lived on their property. And so it was like my mom was really into pop music. My grandpa was really into Elvis. So we I got a lot big Elvis, uh, big Elvis fan. And then um, and then also listened to like a ton of like sort of I guess now you would kind of refer to it as it wasn't like 70s yacht rock. It was like that 80s sort of yacht rock where it's like Linda Ronstant and like Car like uh, Richard Marks. Okay, okay. Um, yeah. that sort of like uh Gloria Estefan, like you know, that sort of yeah. like, wheelhouse or is like sort of for older contemporary adult like contemporary. Pop, adult contemporary of the eighties. <laughs> like I listened to a lot of that on the radio. So Yeah. But um but yeah, that was like a lot of uh and then I listened to a lot of um my grandpa's Spanish, so I listen to a lot of mariachi music and like nice. cumbia music. Which I, is I do great. enjoy some mariachi. I still love it. There's a band called Mariachi El Bronx, which is the mariachi version of El Bronx, um, and they have an album. I believe it's two. The name of the album is two, and it's um, it, or maybe it's three because they just they just number them. <laughs> uh, but it's it has for, the the opening track of that album is Forty Eight Roses. And I can only describe it as mariachi music meets sublime. Okay. And it's literally one of the best. That album slaps so hard. I I can't recommend it. It's so good. You want to know what TV show is blowing me away with soundtrack right now? Please. Sex Education. Tell me about this show because I, okay, again, a show that I have seen many people talk about in my timeline, but I have not gotten to it yet. What is this show about? What is it? So it's it's uh, a, a story about high schoolers in England uh, and kind of their, uh, it's about learning about sex. It's about puberty. It's about um, uh, adventures and misadventures in, in sexuality and Scully from the X-Files, Jillian Anderson plays, uh, like a mother who is also a, a sex expert, a sexpert, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, she's raising a boy who is very awkward, but in the first season he becomes like the school's sex advice guru. Because uh, he grew up around, like, you know, very smart uh, sex sex messaging, and uh, he's able to turn a very scholastic, completely lacking in worldly experience, but a very okay. scholastic uh, uh, understanding of sex and sexuality and all of the problems that teenagers are going through. And he, like, sets up shop in a... Uh, in an out uh, uh, lavatory, like a it's a wow. it, the whole building is just like showers and 
toilets and it's abandoned and he sets up and he sits in one stall and people come in and sit in the other stall and do like a confessional style like here's the sex problem i'm having and he and he does a great job and he solves a bunch of problems and that's season one and now we're on season two or season three i've lost track oh like but the current season is is as as always soundtrack is amazing the characters are amazing it's it's really it's fun that's that is a very hearty endorsement, and so I'm going to have to add that to my watch list. Uh, did you see Big Mouth? I've seen some of it. It's like a lot less crude version. It tackles the same kind of topics that Big Mouth tackles, gotcha. but it does okay. it in a lot more dignified way. I love Big Mouth. Don't get me wrong. I thought right, that but show it's a was specific great. show for a specific audience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. this is that's actually that is actually to me probably the most helpful description of that show, like very helpful. Well, you're welcome. That's the elevator pitch that I needed (laughs) to say, okay, you son of a bitch, I'm in. So before we uh, before we wrap up today, do you want to talk a little bit about what Amazon is up to? Schemes Uh, and plans. You know, all they want to do is just put a little cop robot in your house. That's all. Oh, man. Okay. So Amazon earlier this week had its, um, I guess, like a new product showcase. They do this about once a year. And most of it was a lot of, you know, hey, we're making new ring products. We're upgrading this this thing that you have. We're doing a bigger Echo Show. It's 15 inches. Like, there's a whole bunch of host of kind of Amazon-related products that they have upgraded. Um, And they talk about two products in particular that really sort of um, were the talk of the inter- the tech internet this week, uh, which the first one is they gave an update on their home security drone, which is a flying surveillance drone that lives in your house. Like, think of it as a Roomba of the sky. A ring doorbell come to life. A ring doorbell with wings. A wing doorbell. That's what they should have called it. <laughs> it was right there. It was, it was right in right front of them. There the whole time. Oh. Damn it, Amazon. <laughs> Where somebody cut me a check because that is okay. I'm going to send an email to Jeff Bezos. Um. So yeah, they basically a, a we're just going to call it a wing. We're going to call it a, a wing. That's what we're going to do. So it's yep. a wing drone. I'm That's in. what it is. So uh, this thing is, uh, it lives in a little container. And then you can sort of, uh, it's designed to sort of like show you your house, uh, but with just one camera. So basically Amazon is trying to say, this is the only camera you'll need in your house. It can fly all the way around and check everything out and then come back and then dock itself. Like that's the goal. So instead of buying eight cameras for eight different rooms or sections of your house and checking in on each of them individually, you can like have this home camera fly and record a little video of, you know, take a little flight through the house, record video and send it back to you. Yeah. So, uh, it can, it can tie into, um, a ring alarm home security system. So if like you have, Part, if you have a sensor on your door and that's activated while you're out, the, the camera will go fly over there to see what's going on. Like it'll go investigate a you know strange occurrence with the if the sensor's triggered. Um it's very interesting. I, it feels like 
that little scene right there, like motion at the door, something flies over to see what's up. It feels very Black Mirror to me. Feels very dystopian, doesn't it? It's it does. It, well, we're about to get more dystopian because not only do they have a flying, autonomous flying surveillance drone for your house, which that sounds dystopian enough. Uh, they also then announced Astro, named after the Jetsons dog, which was not a robot. Rosie was the robot. <laughs> I will go to my grave feeling begrud- feeling injured about this. This is, gr- this is a grievous slander on Rosie the Robot. Uh, but they release this little robot, Astro. It's a rolling surveillance robot designed to track behavior of people in your house and perform helper duties and other surveillance. So it's supposed to be like, like the drone that flies around, except it's actually just rolling around your house all the time and like checking in with you. So imagine this little cute looking little rolling robot on wheels. It's like a screen with wheels. And it goes, hello, uh, here, you have a new message. And it like plays you a, a voicemail or whatever. I, I noticed you're pleasuring yourself. Would you like, would you like some I, yeah. pornography? Hello, uh, sir, I can play you some, uh, so I can play you some Pornhub. If you're so inclined, <laughs> I see that you're busy. <laughs> Um, I see that you're nude. Would you like to watch some pornography? <laughs> uh, it's just so bizarre. It's very weird. Um, so it's a century. It's a they, there's like extra add-ons you can add to it. That's like a cup holder, so it can like bring you a drink, or someone can put a drink in it, and then it can take it to somebody else. Uh, and then they have like an automatic dog treat dispenser. Oh, I could see. A, um, I could see a place for that. Yeah. Of course, you can like, buy an automatic dog treat exp- uh, dispenser. Yeah, you don't need to put an Amazon wheels. robot in your home. Right. And well, and here's the here's the interesting thing. So we CNET got a little confirmation from Amazon that apparently it it maps out your house because it has to know what to avoid, right? And it uploads the map of your home to Amazon servers. Like Amazon needs to have that information for computational like mm-hmm. awareness and the improvements. And so that doesn't make me feel great. Like, I don't love that, that it's not just on device. Like, I, it's such a it's such a difficult thing, right? It's like, how much of your privacy are you willing to give up in exchange for the convenience of a better virtual assistant, a cloud-based assistant, right? So we talk about this all the time. Like, that's why Siri is so bad or, or is the least efficient of all of the voice assistants, because that data, there's pr- there are some privacy gates on on what Siri is doing that, for example, or by comparison, Google and Amazon do not have. And so it actually, the more data that you're feeding a system like Alexa or, you know, okay, Google, sorry if I triggered anybody's uh, <laughs> devices, I apologize. Um, stop. So if you're, but if you trigger those things, like, and you're talking to them and you're giving them just like massive amounts of computational data, it, it, it gets better. It, it does get better. Yeah. It, it, that's how it learns. But the problem is, is you're also giving up some privacy there. So yeah. it's a trade. And so it's that, that is sort of the same thing here. Uh, but I, I think the one thing in particular that made me, uh, laugh really hard about this is, so it's a thousand dollars sort of this thing. Amazon says it's going to ship later this year. Cool. Uh, but it it's they ask you a bunch of questions when you go to pre-order it. They're like, do you have a house with two floors? Right. Like, do you have a house with stairs? Do you have uh, do you have 
transitions on your flooring, like carpet to hardwood, tile to carpet, like whatever. Uh-huh. Uh, they ask you questions like that. Do you have any floor to ceiling windows in your home? <laughs> Are and suicidal? Vi- well, it's funny that you should ask that question because Vice published an article with some insider information and it has this meeting document. Uh, it, and I'm just going to read this. Um, I'm just I'm just going to read this little this little bit here. It says one of the internal documentation files presented in a development meeting obtained by Motherboard describes how Astro patrols an owner's home and tries to identify people it encounters. Okay. The meeting document spells out the process in a much blunter way than Amazon's cutesy marketing suggests. Uh, it slowly and intelligently patrols the home when unfamiliar people are around. It moves to a predetermined scan point. And if the robot detects something it thinks is out of the ordinary, it will investigate further. But the problem is, is that apparently um, this thing uh does not work well. Developers who worked on Astro say the versions of the robot they worked on were not great. And this is a quote from a source who worked on the project. Astro is terrible and will almost certainly throw itself down a flight of stairs if presented the opportunity. (laughs) The person detection is unreliable at best, making the in-home security proposition laughable. It feels fragile for something with such an absurd cost. By the way, it has a, um, a mast that looks like uh, a selfie stick that comes out from the robot because it's short. It's like a little short robot right. and it has to be able to see kind of at like like four feet tall. And so it has a little mast that extends up so that it can like record stuff. It is wild. And it can get stuck according to the people who worked on it. And when it's stuck in its extended position, it's almost impossible to ship it back to Amazon. Yeah. It makes it itself breaks. unreturnable. Yeah, it makes itself unreturnable. It breaks. Amazon's trying to position this as like, oh, yeah, you could like have it in your elderly relative's house and it can check on them, be a helper drone. And I'm like, a single story elderly person's home. Yeah, in a single story elderly person's home, which, by the way, you would have to go to bed every night and pray to whatever God it is that you're interested in that your elderly relative does not trip over the rolling (laughs) robot in your in their house and break a hip. Yeah, that would be the the $1,000 robot would be the least of your concerns at that point. I mean, it's just uh, well, it's and so silly. That's, and that's all skirting around the privacy issues. Like, Yeah, the fact that Amazon does, in, that there's a lot of questionable and sort of secretive practices that Amazon has been criticized for that involve selling ring video doorbell footage to police. Yeah. Like they, I mean, this is not, Great. You know, like what happens when the police decide uh, your your house just looks suspicious or if you're a person of color, mm-hmm. if you're black, indigenous, a person of color. Like what happens when some racist cop or racist neighbor who doesn't know you sees you walking into your home, assumes it's not yours because of their because of their, you know, wait, that foundational never happens. Rant. Yeah, it never happens. And and then calls the police and they say, okay, well, we need to pull this. And then they go to the house and they mm-hmm. pull your video footage out of your house. Like, there's just such a real moral gray area here. Like, I don't love it. Like, I, 
I'm all about having a drone deliver me a pizza like sure. outside in my lawn, but yeah. like I I can't I can't get behind like I we've been really kind of going out of our way to buy products uh for surveillance purposes that are not connected to the internet. Yeah. So like um Ufi is like well, probably my favorite company for this. We have a, our baby monitors Ufi. Um, the space view baby monitor, it does not, it, it's a dumb baby monitor. It doesn't connect to the internet. It doesn't need to, it's just a signal. And like, uh, and then we're probably going to do the security cameras, which are like, you know, again, just records right on device battery lasts for 180 days. And it, that's it. It just, it auto records over stuff after seven days. Yeah. Like, like I, that's fine. I want, I want to get some IP uh like i want connect i want to connect to my synology without having to go outside of the home for that kind of surveillance mm -hmm. um that i could do but yeah i i have i have echoes in my house and like i find them very handy being able to set multiple timers in the kitchen while i'm cooking it's very disconcerting when they're when they come on unprovoked and say, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. And it makes you very aware of what it is they are getting. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's like, I just like, I don't know about anybody else, but like, I do not have a full like day outfit on when I walk around in my house. <laughs> I do. Like, I, I do not have anything with video in my house. Yeah, like sometimes I walk around in my underwear. Sometimes I'm like, sometimes our dogs are barking and I have to go like shush them in the yard and I'm in my pajamas. Like, I just, I don't like, I just don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I get, I get really weirded out by this stuff and I should love it because I love technology and everything, but it's just. There's been a line, like it used to be, you could have this uh, almost naive love of all new technology and only the truly paranoid were concerned but we've yeah. rounded a we've rounded a corner we've sometime really in the last corner. decade 10 15 years like things have gotten mm -hmm. all new technology is built around uh invasion of privacy it's like it's a core business yeah. model now yeah and it's that's my problem is it's like we've like you said we've turned a corner where you know, your privacy is the product. And it's like, yes, I understand some people who say like, well, if you're not doing anything illegal, you should, you have nothing to worry <laughs> about. But like, that's not really the point, nope, right? It's it like, it really isn't. It's yeah, that's true. But like, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not the point. And so I, I very much have like care a lot about this now. And I feel like we sort of are trying to put the genie back in the bottle because of products like Gmail is like the biggest one, right? That's mm -hmm. like the one product that you can point to and say like, this was the beginning of that business model. Yep. It's like, we'll give you this thing for free. Cause I remember, do you remember when Photoshop was $600 every year? Yep. And it's like, now it's like, well, we're going to give you this thing for free, but you're going to give us all your, all your privacy. Yeah. And it's like, well, I don't love that anymore. Like, let me give you a couple of bucks. Like, yeah. let me pay for a subscription or whatever. As long as you're not like, overly overreaching on my data or at least give me the option to choose what you take. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Show me a bingo board and be like, okay, we'd like to collect all of this data, <laughs> but if you pay for a subscription, you get to pick five buckets like that will 
take from you and all the rest of them you keep to yourself. Like, let me just let me just at least have some level of customization over what I'm giving you. Did you hear about this problem that uh, shit? What's it called? Not not uh, not Instagram. TikTok. TikTok was having when they tried to crack down on COVID misinformation, their algorithm was so good that if someone watched one uh, video containing COVID misinformation, it would queue up like autoplay all of the possible misinformation you could fit into one playlist. Self-defeating. Hey, really? I mean, and then they tried to fix it, but they have this thing where you can take the audio from one clip and apply it to another clip. Yeah. So the yeah. clips they deleted yeah. were on average getting used. The audio would be used in over a hundred other Ugh. clips. Like there was yeah, no way yeah. to stop it. Yeah, it's it's like stemming. I mean, is it? Yeah, no, no, you can't you can't stop that. <laughs> did you ever? Did you ever hear? There was a Twitter thread years ago that like really has stuck with me about tech and like computer sciences and things like that, which is, um, and I, I feel like a jerk cause I don't remember his name. It's a guy who's talking about how he's like, I used to be in, I think he was either in physics or chemistry and compute and comp size. So he's in computer sciences and he talks about how the computer science industry. So I'm tech for, sure. for all intent and purposes has never had an ethical reckoning the way that other sciences have. So he talks about how in the um, in the chemistry community, they had to reckon with uh, chemical warfare, and they had to reckon with the ethics of creating that, and also, um, you know, dynamite, and uh, you know, other there's other like other examples. And then he talks about how like chemical warfare was the big one for the chemistry industry. Like, and then in the physics space, we had to grapple with the ethical, the ethical nature of the A bomb, and also the hydrogen bomb. Right. So sure. like now the hydrogen bomb. And he's like, and really, computer science has never experienced that. They've never experienced a a watershed moment of reckoning and the closest we got to it was maybe cambridge analytica yeah and like but it's so it's so disjointed and so separate that it's very hard to have those watershed moments now because there's not a collective experience that occurs under any of these sort of uh you know scandals yeah so a good example is this week uh facebook released this this massive set of slides that it had done research on like deep research really deep research on the effect of instagram on teenage girls in a very negative way yeah like this this app is hurting them it is harming them in a way that we don't even realize how bad it is and facebook knows and they don't care like they just do not seem to care because it, it, it doesn't matter to them and you know and it's like these moments are really you know the 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 industry is just in need of this reckoning moment where we are teaching cuz now if you go to school to be a physicist if you go to school to be a chemist there are classes about ethics sure. that you learn and you learn about those watershed moments and you you understand what the power of your chosen field can be uh, used to 
you know, can be done with, what that power can be used for in the worst ways, in the worst hands, as opposed to only saying, well, it's just going to change everybody's life for the better because it's connecting people. Like Facebook never considers the ramifications of what if this thing that we're building, this piece of product that we're building is used in the worst possible way? Like what is the worst possible scenario here? And, um, and that's why they have such a hard time getting a handle on disinformation because they never, because they never said we need to build this product to protect from that thing in the first place. And like so much tech does this where it's like, they only think of the best case scenario, the, the, the positive change it'll bring to the world without actually considering how it can be weaponized by people with less altruistic intent. Or, and it was just such a good thread, and I, I think about it all the time. It's like, it, they, they can, at the outset, they consider what, what all the good things are going to happen, and they ignore the potential for bad things. But then when the bad things do happen, as they inevitably will, as things scale, they continue to like actively actively hide them work around them like it is the profit motive kind of kills all benevolence of technology mm -hmm. and also the investor the the investment pipeline does because these companies are not going to admit to any potential investor that there are certain ways of using a, a, a service or a product that can really harm people because then they're not going to get invested in. Except for some of those ways are some of that, some of that in and of itself is profitable. Like sure. there, there's, there's profit to be made on the dark side of these technologies. Absolutely. And Instagram, I mean, you know, like uh, they had these hearings the other day and um, Senator Blumenthal got like scorched for talking about like, what is a Finsta? Like whatever. But he explained it like an hour prior. He knows exactly what it is. <laughs> and then he asked the executive, he was like, do, do you have plans to end Finstas, which are fake Instagrams that a lot of kids will set up for uh, to keep away from their parents, to, like share things sure. with their friends and stuff like that. And um, it's it goes beyond that, but that's a that's a big chunk of users who have a a second Instagram account, and really at the end of the day, Instagram would never stop. No, they finish. push those on you. Like they every time I log in, they're like, you. "Hey, do you want to make a second Create account? another account?" Yeah, because that's more accounts that they can say are active. Yeah, and it makes their bottom line better, makes it easier, and makes them more money to sell ads. And it's just like, of course, they're not going to stop that. Like, they're never going to stop that. Yeah. You know, they have a whole slide deck that says how harmful Instagram is for teenage girls. And they have done nothing to, you know, they've done absolutely nothing to curb that. This got dark. It did. It, it really for did. A, but for it's an episode it's an that, that thing really focused about. so hard on Rick rolling. We went from Rick rolling to what I argue is one of the biggest technological uh, fights worth having in the 21st century. <laughs> privacy. It's worth it. Conversation needs privacy. to be had. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, I like, I think about that thread all the time and I'm just like, just, just think about how you can, you know, it's like, if you have a brick, you can build a house, but you can also kill somebody with it. You know? Yeah. It's just think about that. Like really think about it before you're going out there being like this is only going to build beautiful houses. It will never be used. Free bricks for everyone. Weapon. For everybody gets bricks. In fact, take a whole bag full of bricks.
just sign over some personal data on the way. Um, all, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Give us your social security number. Ashley, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I love you guys both. You- I love you both equally. I, I like hanging out with you and Chrissy. It's different types of conversation. It is. But- equally enjoyable it is and and when christina and i are together we play off each other quite well and i feel like it comes out pretty balanced uh when it's just you and christina it gets very bachelor heavy it we well we it gets chaotic right like we're we're just a couple <laughs> of hurricanes rolling around like it's yeah. just, you just both imagine, talk faster than i do too it's it's true and just imagine two hurricanes colliding. Like, that's basically what hanging out with me and Christina is like. Well, except you would think, like, with a certain amount of, like, uh, hurricanes, we'll say, metaphorically colliding, that there would be, like, a neutrality that came out of that. Like, a, an eye of the storm. I feel like you guys hit that. Thank La- you. Last time I listened to you guys do an episode, I'll admit, sometimes I just edit episodes and I don't pay attention. That's fair. And last time I forgot to put the 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 closing, uh, the outro music on the episode. I'm sorry to everyone who found that very disconcerting to just be just left hanging. Just left there. a cliffhanger. We just put together a cliffhanger episode. It's fine. Do you know how we end this up, these, these shows? Do you know how we end an episode? No. I say, get some sleep, Christina. And then Christina says, get some sleep, Brett. So you want to try it? Yeah, let's do it. This is this is how the overtired show goes. Get some sleep, Ashley. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down low. <laughs>